Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news stories and analysis every single week. I'm James and back with me today, I have my co-hosts Jessica and Henry. Welcome guys, how are you doing? I'm good and I would like it known, following last week's episode, we talk of the Somex team day, we did crazy golf for my team one. So I'm just letting everyone know that <laughs> it's on record. And I, and I got a hole in one. I mean, I was propped up by excellent uh, performance by my other team members because my performance on the other holes was less good. But thank you, Henry, for supporting me there and being a great team member. Ah, you're more than welcome. I'd also like it to be known, uh, as this is a matter of public record, that James thinks that the order in which you count is a thing that can be moved around in order to increase your score. So, um, okay. Yeah. Let's th- so <laughs> I think it's completely reasonable when you're playing mini golf, if you've lost count, to just sort of go, that felt like five strokes or that felt like six. I mean, how how else would you do that if you'd lost count? Were you just going to go for the maximum every time? Yeah, yeah you I, I feel like I've never heard Tiger Woods at the end of a hole in the open being like, <laughs> felt like a three. <laughs> so yeah, I think either replay the hole or just give yourself the max score. I, t- I tell you what, next time Tiger does mini golf, let's just take that as precedent for whatever he does. Yeah, I see the loophole you found there. Well, it's <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. Should we talk about some health tech? Yeah. Yeah, go on then. First new story of this week in Health Tech Pigeon, conjoined twins separated with the help of VR. Uh, Jess, what's going on with this one? I always really love these stories. I think, first of all, it's amazing to see that there's a health tech story front and centre on BBC News. But I can remember being fascinated with these kinds of sort of miraculous stories, even when I was back in school. But I, but seeing, you know, the fact that these conjoined twins have been separated with, was I think it's nine surgeons from around the world, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. And I think you'll probably agree, both of you, that we're seeing some really, really interesting um, surgery health tech solutions at the moment. Um, and so I'm really interested to see more of that and more of these kinds of stories where, you know, operations are being completed and being successful where we would never have expected to see that before. And, you know, there's the likes of Holocare who are using um, the Microsoft HoloLens to do surgical planning so they can, surgeons, again, in different places around the world can look at different organs and basically map surgery ahead of actually carrying out the operation. There's a scalpel who is using AI and um, machine learning to help put together uh, surgical instruments ahead of surgery and then mapping um, use of those instruments to make sure that instruments aren't being left in patients or, uh, you know, discarded uh like tissue or anything like that is being left in the wrong place. And so it's recounting those instruments and all of that sort of thing to really optimize the the surgical tools that are, are being used and therefore reducing time um, in the sterile surgical departments, basically reducing the amount of time, put, putting together these very specific um, instrument trays and then making sure that they're, they're cleaned and broken tools are discarded afterwards. So it's, it's a really interesting space at the moment, I think. And just a really, really lovely story. It is that, isn't it? It's just always really nice opening up the BBC News website in the morning and seeing the industry you work in. And I think that we're seeing more and more of that, which is great. But also, 
these are big, good news stories, very positive news stories. And I think what would be really lovely is if we saw some more recognition for the smaller companies who do things that are less sort of blunt and in your face as we've separated conjoined twins, joined at the head as well. Like that's obviously going to be news. But I think it'd be really lovely if we started seeing more coverage. Lovely. It would be amazing if we started <laughs> seeing more coverage for the, the smaller companies who make those tiny incremental or small incremental changes that are in the background of health tech systems that make all the difference. So, yeah, more of that, please. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think the, the key thing for her in that story is uh, nine surgeons from around the world. I wonder if they've, you know, nine surgeons in one place or using the likes of Proxima, you can get nine surgeons from around the world in the same room using all sorts of different techs. So, yeah, very cool. Very nice story. On to the next story. So why mental health chatbots need strict guardrails? Jess, what's going on here? So I thought this was particularly interesting as a chatbot skeptic. But basically, Weiser uh, has created a mental health chatbot and another one, I hear you cry. But this one, I think, well, this article is is very balanced in the way that um, it kind of navigates a discussion with with Weiss's co-founder about you know why these why guardrails are needed for the use of chatbots where chatbots can benefit people like genuinely benefit them rather than being just a nice concept um and and what those guardrails need to look like um and I've I've worked with lots of um clients back in the big pharma days where it seemed like a chatbot was a kind of a, a nice fluffy add-on to have and we're quite popular for that reason but I think this is all the way over to the other side that where it's using I think neurolinguistic programming and huge data sets to really create something of value to people who have mental health issues and in the article he he talks about just how much um, kind of data and validation has gone behind creating uh, Weiser. And it, there's, I think, 15 different peer-reviewed publications either already published or um, in the process of being published. And it's also received, let me get this right, and this was really comforting to hear, FDA breakthrough device designation for the work in chronic pain. I think also chronic pain is an area that's really kind of under underrepresented and under tackled I think where mental health is concerned um and you know there are companies like Otto for instance um who who tackle not chronic pain but chronic condition using um a digital support solution with CBT and all of that kind of thing and so there, there clearly is a benefit to these kinds of technologies for people with long-term health conditions and conditions that do affect your mental health um, but I think it's just really heartening to see that there is genuine evidence behind this one. Um, and I think, you know, the company is not claiming to solve all problems on all fronts, um, but is also taking the privacy and anonymity and accessibility very, very seriously. And so one of the things that they're actually doing to improve accessibility is looking at WhatsApp integration which I think is very, very cool, but also translation into other languages, which I think is, again, going to be really key to accessibility. But when you think how widespread use of WhatsApp is, to not even have to download another app, which for many people is a barrier. I find it annoying. I don't want to take up extra storage on my phone. 
to be able to just send a message like you would to your friend and have an entire session of CBT. And it's even quoted here that someone had an entire session of CBT while they were sat with their family in front of the television and no one knew. That's amazing. And so I think it helps address some of that stigma whilst also considering widespread accessibility for perhaps some underserved communities as well. So I have to say that this has given me a very new perspective on chatbots and I feel cautiously optimistic. I don't trust anything that passes the Turing test. Do you want to explain the Turing test, Henry? A human questioner asks the same questions to two uh, unidentified bodies on the other side of a barrier, one of which is a person, one of which is a computer. And if the computer can convince the human that he is the human, then it passes the Turing test. You know, Alan Turing, obviously, who, uh, famous movie star in The Imitation Game, um, which is what it was originally called. So it was The test was originally called The Imitation Game, and it's the idea that you could build a bit of AI, a chatbot in this instance, that would convince you it was real. And they really creep me out. I really don't like it. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say it. You wouldn't trust it. The irony is, if it passed, you would. And that that is the irony. Oh, and no. I think, yeah, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> it's that thing about great power and responsibility, I think, where something is passing the Turing test, where a chatbot is passing as a human sincerely, transparently being a chatbot, but you know, seemingly a human. Perhaps that is the area in which they can do the most good. But to Jess's point about needing... Uh, evidence and all the rest of it obviously the, the medical device obviously because i think yeah i think the, the balance here is important and i think where where this talks about the potential dangers and therefore requiring that high level of uh evidence and as i say you know, passing a turing test and seemingly being human i think there's a lot of influence that can be created there but see but also too a lot of benefit as well because where someone it does feel in that interaction that they can be honest that they can be open that that's perhaps where those gains are to be made. Um, so I actually think, as Jess said, a, a heartening story. I think you've just fundamentally undermined my entire reality by making me think about every interaction I've had with someone I couldn't see and whether or not they're real, um, <laughs> which is quite terrifying. Like, are, are you guys real? It's funny, like I am really polite to the chatbots that I interact with, just in case. <laughs> I always say please to Alexa, just in you know, for when the robot uprising happens, um, just, you know, that she'll, she'll kill me last. Well, it's, yeah, uh, exactly. It's like nice. that bit in Black Mirror, isn't it? Where the, uh, the robots go for those ones first. It sounds like your idea of hell, Henry, given that you have to reply to every email in your inbox, even if it isn't a person. So I, the yeah. length of conversations you would be having with this kind of chatbot boggles the mind. <laughs> I mean, that combined with my inherent Britishness and inability to like end a conversation, it would just be me and the chat would be <laughs> like, bye, cheerio, right, must be off now, just add kind of for infinity. On to story number three. <laughs> cool. Uh, this is back in again, Henry, July's hottest seed. You, you absolutely love this, just your competitive nature against fintech. However, there's a new player, a new participant in this race. Who is it? And why don't you like them? <laughs> It's like the reverse blind date. Uh, <laughs> so the good news is we're still second. So fintech are doing their fin thing. Obviously, it's easier for fintech to raise. They know all the fin people. Um, that's fine. Uh, prop, prop tech and SaaS have snuck up on us, though, <laughs> and are, are very close behind. And 
I don't I don't think SaaS is an industry. I think that's just people who can't be asked to categorize what bit of SaaS they're doing, let's be honest. <laughs> like, categorize it properly. Don't be lazy. Prop tech. Prop tech. Uh, like, I'm not losing a two-horse race to book, coming third in a two-horse race to prop tech. So what's an, what's an example of a piece of prop tech? I know this is a health tech podcast. What, what's an example of a piece of prop tech? Like right move? Right move. Zoopla. There's, uh, there's quite a few pieces around like that. But there's, loads of, there's loads of stuff within those industries as well. There's loads of like tech that goes into the creation of right move posts and things. So things like those mm. floor planning bits of software and the VR walkthroughs and stuff, that all falls under prop tech. Um, and um, presumably the AI chatbot that is selling estate agents polyester suits and shiny ties uh, has got a lot of tech behind it because no one would no one would buy one of those out of choice um so yeah there's loads of different bits to that industry uh, i just refuse to lose to an industry that that sells houses basically or helps hotels we're not doing that well it's up to the health tech companies to raise the money get a great benefits package and get those devs over into our sector please um if, if anything just to stop henry moaning on this podcast every week to be fair, it's every month, to be fair, the seeds one, uh, and I, I take your point. <laughs> On to story number four. Teladoc stock sinks after $3 billion loss in Q2. Uh, becoming a bit of a theme, this um, IPO'd companies uh, dropping in value. Henry, thoughts? Yeah, as I put in pigeon, it's uh, it's talking about that's becoming about as repetitive as being Henry VIII's best man. It's <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? So this is the second quarter in a row that uh, Teladoc stock has sunk. And it's for the same reason as well, which is really interesting. So in Q1, they had to write down the value of, um, they bought Livongo, um, and they had yeah. to write down $6.6 billion on that. And then this quarter, they've had to write down $3 billion because of a non-cash goodwill impairment charge, which uh, is not a band, though it sounds like one. Um, shall I explain what that is? Do you think people know what that is? Yeah, non, non-cash non goodwill impairment charge. What on earth does that mean? So they're a four-piece indie band from Liverpool, um, <laughs> kind of in the in the mould of the... <laughs> no, Um so non-cash goodwill impairment charge. So let's work this out. So goodwill is any intangible asset um, that a company that you've purchased has. So that can be things like IP. It can be brand value, that kind of thing. So it's not something yeah. that's easily quantifiable. You can't put a number to it, right? So it's non-cash as well. So it's non-cash goodwill impairment charge. And basically, once you've bought these companies and they are further integrated into your company, you then have to work out whether or not that was well-valued. Right. whether that was valued by you or is valued by the company or third party so with their last few acquisitions they've basically it feels or it looks on their balance sheet like they've overvalued them uh to the tune of almost 10 billion across two quarters and that has to then be written down because the brand or the ip or whatever it is is not worth what they thought it was worth so that has obviously hit their share price but i did a little bit of digging into this and they went public in july 2015 19 dollars a share so actually where their current share price is given that the, the market's kind of grown at about 12.4% um, net, 12.4% a year over the last 10 years. It's kind of where you would expect their share price to be. Obviously, it peaked massively. It's shot up uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic and during the pandemic, and it's come down. That's natural. I actually don't think this is a, a big, scary kind of loss one. Um, mm. Their share price is probably where it should be, but it did see maybe uh, aggressive levels of inflation during the pandemic because of you know, what Teladoc do. Mm. So mm. not a scary one, but interesting to note that two quarters in a row, uh, something internal has been overvalued. 
Mm. And just to be clear, this is not financial advice. Uh, no, don't <laughs> take any financial advice from me. I yesterday I bought a golden, <laughs> a, go, a fake gold monkey lamp um, for no reason other than I thought it was cute, and I've already been told I have to send it back. I'm bad yeah. with money. Yeah, no, this is not. That's absolutely not financial advice. Um, but also, just <laughs> just in terms of just in terms of like uh, share prices. I mean, I see videos all the time of Bezos Neistvit famously saying uh, the share price is not the company, and actually, depending on what the share price is, you know, he he talks in a video that I've seen anyway about looking at the share price and then actually just looking at his performance in the quarter, the, the comp- all the company metrics, the performance that quarter, the previous quarter, you know, it, it just does not relate to what's actually going on. And so whilst the share price is an easy one to report media-wise, it still does not tell the story of what's going on inside the company. I mean, even then, you know, it says at the end of here, expect revenue between 600 million, 620 million in third quarter. Yeah, th- there's clearly lots going on in this in this company that that you know, it's not reflective necessarily of the share price. And so they're not scrabbling around the back of the sofa for change. Like they're doing well. It's just been a, a readjustment, a renormalization, I suppose. On to the next story. So this one isn't actually the story. We're just going to chat quickly about one of the podcasts you can listen to today that's linked to In Pigeon and its Faces of Digital Health. The title is Overdose. How can we prevent? medication errors henry you've had a quick listen to this i said a quick listen to this but you can do a quick listen actually on double speed but whether it's a quick listen or a slow listen you tell me what was going on in this it was a, it was a normal speed listen james <laughs> um, it's actually a documentary so it's like a little short film which i watched in one one time um so yeah short documentary from people we love um that looks at uh, the challenges and solutions relating to like medication safety and to raise awareness about the need to improve uh, improve medication and patient related safety. So it talks a lot about the how many uh, medication errors are made every year and I think in England alone it's like it works out at like six per person. Yeah. Obviously it's not doesn't work out quite like that but it's like 200 and, I can't remember the stat 250 million I think they say that's just England. Holy hell. So, and the cost of that, which is like 100 million, and that it takes thousands of lives every year as well. So really, really interesting from that point. They've got six or seven, I think six clinicians on and or people in the space talking about it. They all actually also talk about their worst experience, some of which are pretty harrowing, some of which are fortunately sort of more comic relief where something has been avoided at the last minute. Um, but really nicely put together. The trailer's well worth watching if you're like me and you have the attention span of a gnat to get a good feel for it. And then I think once you watch those, you'll uh, you'll want to watch the whole thing. So yeah, really, really interesting. I keep saying really, really. It's really interesting. It's worth watching. Uh, it's a good do it on your lunch break, 35, 40 minutes short doc. Highly recommend it. Love it. It's, it's a massive, massive problem to solve. I mean medication related patient safety there there have been so many startups that have tried to do something along these lines to try and improve this in some way shape or form it's one of those that has just got so much like human factor to it that to get on top of it with any sort of tech solution just doesn't seem that possible it it links to everything there are so many moving parts and it's funny that there are these things called never events that should never happen in a hospital, in a healthcare setting, full stop. And yet there are many, many, many never events that happen every single day across the country, across the world. And I am sure that medication related 
patient safety events are in that category. And I'm sure many of them happen as, as you've heard in that. And, and actually, even as a clinician, I can remember being part of, to varying degrees, a few of these in my short career in medicine. And every single time, you know, you try and do a root cause analysis, it, it's something that affects everything. And, and in terms of tech helping, I think we're getting there in, but there's no one solution that's going to solve it. And actually, even to mind now, you think of infinity health and task management, you can think of scalpel and the way that they're tracking instruments in surgery, all these, all these things as they, as they piece together can actually start to chip away at this and help with this. But poor, yeah, big, big, big problem to solve and no, no easy way of doing so. The worst case study in this though, to be honest, is, is one that where you said there, like it seems almost impossible to solve it. I can't think of a way that, that this could have been avoided. And it was someone rewriting someone else's notes on the medication for a patient and just adding a zero to the end of one. So 25 milligrams became 250 milligrams. It's just, that's just human error. Even if you make that digital, even if you make that digital, that's a person is still inputting it somewhere at some point. I just like, there's a really good TED talk from, I can't remember the name of the doctor, but he basically, his opening line is doctors are human. And like, these errors will always exist. We're never going to tech these out of out of the world because mm. people are human. Um, so yeah, highly recommend listening to this. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I would really recommend if you're interested in understanding more about never events, how common they are, the kinds of things that they look like, and the causes of them definitely head over to Scalpel um, because they have done some really good analysis on the causes of never events um, and the the human and economic impact and the, the cost to, to healthcare systems on, on that human and um, financial perspective as well. Um, so if you want some more insight, I can definitely recommend going there. But I think on a personal level, having, I guess, not necessarily directly experienced like a medical accident, but, you know, where having taken a lot of medication in the past and, you know, I think there is a, I don't necessarily think that tech is going to solve the whole problem here. And I think that there's ways that tech can play a role in reducing the incidence of some of these never events and these errors and that kind of thing. But I also think in in terms of medication, and maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I think there's a lot of work to be done on the preventative side and the lifestyle management side of things. And I think medication plays a really, really important part of healthcare. Speaking from my own experience, I didn't need to have the level of medication I received, but there wasn't any other support available for me. I think had there been, maybe it was like a tech support, perhaps, you know, like for instance, Neurocore managing chronic pain with bioelectrical stimulation or that sort of thing, like other options that help people manage their conditions without needing total reliance on medication where it's possible. I think those options should be sought out. And so having greater confidence in technologies that do provide preventative, supportive and management options, I think would go a really long way to providing some sort of or part of the solution it will never wipe out the the issue in its entirety but i think it could really help 
Yeah, I do agree, Jess. And I think in this podcast, I mean, it's called How Can We Prevent Medication Errors? And I think that prevention element is an incredibly important part of preventing medication errors if we're preventing people getting on medication in the first place. And I think you're right. That probably is where attention should be in terms of bang for buck and actually making making a difference. You know, even in the first sentence of, of looking at this description, this talks about unsafe medication practices and medication errors. So there are two separate things there and both of which can be reduced by reducing the amount of medication people are taking, not least because when you're talking about things like opioids and where there's tachyphylaxis and people have to just keep going up and up and up and up on the amount, it becomes unsafe even through a relatively normal practice of just increasing the dose to deal with the pain. And yeah, there's, there's, and there's plenty of uh, health tech companies um, trying to tackle that. But yeah, super interesting topic. Very good podcast to listen to. Thanks for putting that in, Henry. And thanks everybody for listening this week. If you want to grab any of the links to anything that we've talked about today on this podcast, you can head over to healthtechpigeon.com and subscribe to the newsletter. That's going to hit your inbox every single Sunday. Guys, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.